In the Green Room with Bob O'Brien, brought to you by SOS Global Express. So today, folks, I have the immense pleasure to sit in the green room with production manager Zito. Uh, Zito and I know each other for the past 10 years uh, in his role with both uh, One Republic and Josh Groban. He's been in the industry for well over 21 years now. Zito, welcome to the green room. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Thanks for sitting and chatting with me. But I guess I'm thinking, what else have we got to do in these strange times? Yeah, I'd like to pretend I'm really busy right now. Uh, other than my uh, bread that's uh, proofing on a counter, I don't have a whole lot going on today. I see a lot of uh, social media posts of artisan breads, and I think there's a new cottage industry developing, is there? It's true, actually. I've been able to uh, even make a little money selling it in the neighborhood. I'm going to start doing a, a farmer's market, selling it there, and uh, something I've enjoyed doing for a while, but now I have the time to really hone the craft and you know, I have no excuses, so why not put it to use? Uh, Zito, would you give us an idea of the artists you've worked with over the years and how you came to be in the business, I suppose? Uh, yeah, the short version is uh, 21 years ago, I was a music major in college. was picking up some engineering, some recording when I was there, and um, played a bunch of different stuff. I had this this epiphany a couple of years into, into school that I'm technically proficient, so I'll kind of work on on the engineering side. So I was playing in a band in and around Chicago and, um, and we were playing regionally and there was this other band that we used to play with and uh, they were playing outside of Chicago. And I said, Hey, you know, if you ever, if you ever need a, uh, a sound guy, I do sound. And so he said, yeah, well, actually, you know, we're, we, we go on the road on the weekends, we go outside of the state and, uh, you know, well, our sound guy, he's our bass player's brother and he can't travel cause he's got a real job. So if you want to go, we need you next weekend. So I said, all right. So I walked in the green room and I said to the band, hey, guys, we're going to play our last show tonight. I'm going on the tour, going on tour with these other guys. And that was it. 21 years ago, I went, went into school and a couple of weeks later, dropped out all my classes and went on the road. I started working in and around Nashville. And from there, uh, ended up working for one of the uh, Backstreet Boys uh, solo uh, guys back in about 2006. That went really well. Brian Littrell and he had asked me to said, "Hey, Backstreet's going out. We're doing a reunion. You want to come out and uh, mix sound for us?" So I started working for them, and things kind of just went from there. Working in pop music, and worked for them for a number of years. I also worked for New Kids on the Block, and that led me to doing stuff with Sum 41, Good Charlotte, and uh, into One Republic, where we met. And uh, that led to a lot, other, a lot of other opportunities with uh, Ariana Grande and uh, Babyface, Josh Groban that you mentioned earlier that I did, um, Tim and Faith, which was more of a pop tour than it was a country tour. I've worked for a couple of country bands over the years, but really try to stay in the, in the pop market. And then this year was uh, out with an EDM DJ named Steve Aoki before the whole COVID thing came and, and our tour canceled. And um, we're supposed to be going out with Blink-182 for the year, but again, that uh, has been postponed indefinitely. What would your favorite part of touring be, Zizo? The travel. I mean, getting to experience new places. For me, I love the challenge, especially of touring uh, internationally. I love going to the crazy, exotic places. Hand-in-hand hand with that is experiencing the food, the people, the culture of, of new places. I've done... Uh, shows in 75, 76 countries now. And so that's uh, always exciting for me to get to go to someplace new. What's the least part? Probably my least favorite part would be I love to eat. I love food and, and I love to experience in food. And that can go hand in hand with having some pretty crummy catering experiences. I remember being in Eastern Europe and having the exact same 
terrible food for lunch and dinner, not like a different lunch and a different dinner. It was the same food. And uh, I just remember going, this can't be real. Like they put the same food out and it was even more terrible for dinner than it was for lunch because now it's been sitting here for six hours. Uh, That's honestly my least favorite part. With Blink, we uh, travel with a private chef so that uh, we can at least have somebody that's advanced in catering and taking care of some of the dietary things. You know, in uh, all the artists you've listed there, some amazing artists, is there a particular time or decade that's been the most interesting for you? I think the first time you go through any place is always exciting. You know, starting out as an audio engineer and going with Backstreet Boys that that went everywhere. I mean, if there was a country you'd never heard of, they were going to go play it. That was exciting for me. I didn't have a lot of responsibilities. I advanced my PA system and I mixed the show. So I have really great memories of those times and exploring cities on all my days off. Those were magical times for me. So you've seen a lot of changes and trends on tour. I mean, technology's jumped so, so quickly. You know, how we started off in itineraries. And will you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I tend to be more in the new school uh, train of thought. If I had it my way, I would never print a tour book. Uh, ever again. I think they're completely useless, a waste of money and uh, a waste of effort and outdated the second you print them. Uh, I'm a huge advocate of using Master Tour and uh, I always put every single detail of my schedule of the hotels, of everything I have in Master Tour so anybody on my tour can access it at any point and know what's going on. We do distribution groups in WhatsApp so I can send out information to the tour, even uh, last fall, I went out in a different role um, as part of the tour management team with uh, with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And uh, so I was uh, collecting the band's after-show food requests. And, you know, the system that they used to have, they would go in and somebody would walk around and hand a menu and track down the, there's 19 people in the band, track down every single one, look at it. Like, this is ridiculous. I don't, I don't need to do this. So I had a WhatsApp distribution group. I'd send a message to everybody with a link. And I clicked the link and then pull up the menu. And then there was a little form to fill out. What's your name? What do you want to order? What are your requests? And then it came back to me in a spreadsheet form. And I had a list that I could just print off and hand to the runner. And so I wasn't chasing anybody around. I wasn't having to clarify, um, you know, or read somebody's crazy handwriting. And it's amazing to me how... These tools are available for our use, but there's a bit of resistance in the beginning. And I was yeah. like, okay, well, that's that's in the same thing with Master Tour. I was like, well, you don't have to fine. If you don't want to use it, don't use it. And then don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't come and ask me what hotel we're staying. And you have it's free, put the it's on your phone. It takes 10 seconds for you to look at it. And I don't want to be the bottleneck of information. I don't want to be the pinch point. I want you to have what you need. So so you don't so my time isn't wasted with those sorts of things. I have better things to do than to track down 19 people and ask them, you know, what they want to nosh on after a show. You've been a sound engineer, audio engineer. I mean, tech from when you started, technology has just jumped so quickly. You know, a lot of times I found it so hard just to keep up with all the changes in all different departments. Yeah, even, you know, I haven't mixed uh mixed a show. Uh, since 2016, actually. And even in the short amount of time that I haven't been mixing, it's been uh, really crazy for me to see the technology. You know, I still stay, try to stay uh, up to date with it. I go talk to the sound engineers and sometimes I walk out there on uh, on Ariana, you know, that's a big 
pop tour where 24 trucks and it has its very stressful moments and and uh, our amazing sound engineer toby francis would would uh, be out there and i'd go out and talk with him and he's like do you just want to stand here put your hands on the console for some reassurance <laughs> like, yes Yes. Wow. This is very grounding. So I just stand there, you know, but I'd look at his racks and his equipment and, and not have a clue half the stuff that's, you know, going on. I think there's a huge advantage for some of the younger uh, technology uh, driven uh, folks in the business with uh, that are just grew up with computers, grew up networking, all that sort of thing is just inherent now. Do you have any, uh, there must be at some point, is there any crazy rider you've had to prepare? Any outrageous requests? So I worked for Babyface for a number of years, and I loved working for him. He was a great guy. And when I was hired, it was explained to me that there was this T that he had to have. He cannot perform the show without the T. And this T involved uh, these apple cider packets that we were buying online from Europe and this ground ginger that we were buying online from uh, from Asia and shipping it in and ordering it in bulk. And then, the, you know, you had to put the ginger in and steep it for so long and then add the cider and shake it and then strain it and transfer it to this thermos. And so I was taught how to make it and, and uh, staying on top of that. And so I'd ordered more of the ginger, but it didn't show up and we were out and I was panicked. It's like, Oh no, baby face cannot go on stage without his ginger tea. <laughs> So I couldn't find anything else. I came up with a couple of options. And so, you know, with hat in hand, I go to his uh, dressing room before the show. And I was like, Kenny, I need to talk to you. And he's got this really soft spoken. He's like, yeah, what's up, man? I said, "Um, I hate to tell this to you, but we're not going to have your tea for the show tonight. And he goes, man, what tea? I said, well, the thermos of of ginger tea uh, that we put on the riser every night for you. He goes, oh, yeah, man, I've been wondering what that was. Uh, I never asked for that. I was like, why? <laughs> so for, for two and a half years, I've been making this tea religiously, measuring the temperature, weighing everything out. And it wasn't even something the guy drank ever or wanted. It's something that just got lost oh. in translation. What's your most memorable event that you've been involved with show-wise? Yeah, a lot, there are definitely a lot of proud moments, but one of them that I that was actually really special for me was my last show with, uh, with One Republic. And we... We're in uh, Saudi Arabia in December of 2018, and it was the first show, first Western show that they had opened up, and we got the call less than two weeks out to go do this show, and I had already thought I had done my last show, and there's all these restrictions and all these things you hear about uh, the Middle East and going to Saudi, and everybody was anxious and nervous, and there was a lot of things that I'd never dealt with before, getting equipment there and getting people there and different procedures and things, and so... So I ended up heading out, uh, heading out to Riyadh and, and everybody was anxious about what this was going to be. And there's some political things there that, that we struggled with, you know, kind of as a group that we don't necessarily support in their treatment of uh, women and, and people. Uh, at, at any rate, we ended up going and doing the show. And I remember playing that show and it was a massive crowd. It had to be 40, 45,000 people, men and women, adults, children, all together. And it was so powerful seeing them so overjoyed to be watching this music. And I, I realized how much, how much importance there can be in music. It kind of strips away a lot of barriers. It strips away a lot of the politics and the other bullshit. And you just get down to, you know, bringing people together. And I remember seeing them sing and men and women in the same space and thinking, wow, 
this hasn't happened here in a long time. This is really, really powerful. It was an extra emotional experience for me too, knowing that it was the last show I was doing with them. And, and I was moving on after that, after, you know, seven years of being with an artist. So that was really, really a special moment for me. Do you have any scary moments on tour? Hands down the most stressful and scariest period of time. I'll condense the story here, but, uh, 2013, I was actually tour managing for Backstreet Boys and we were touring China and they had signed on with this uh, Chinese promoter and it was just some shady stuff. Everybody was undermining everybody and stealing from everybody. The purchaser that had bought all 10 shows across China was kind of battling with each of the local promoters and trying to kind of screw them out of money. We were in Nanjing, China, and the uh, a fan came up to me and said, hey, uh, we'll see you tonight at uh, the after show party or the VIP party. I'm like, there's no VIP party. And she shows me a ticket. And sure enough, it's a ticket for an appearance by the Backstreet Boys. I said, hey, you know, we're not showing up for anything. This isn't anything we're a part of, you know. So I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. Well, the next uh, morning, I wake up at the hotel and uh, there's about 250 uh, Chinese dudes protesting outside of our hotel, holding up signs, you know, screw Backstreet Boys, Backstreet Boys are liars. And uh, come to find out that these were all kids that the, that this club owner had hired to fake a protest. This goes on all morning. It's the day of the show and the crew's gone and set up at the hotel. And it's the afternoon and we're getting to the point where we are ready to leave and get the boys out with security, get them in the bus and head to the, head to the gig. And as we do that, the kids catches us leaving out the back and lays in front of the bus and uh, stops us from moving. And so our security gets out and they're trying to move them out of place. Now, long story short, uh, they end up uh, completely surrounding the bus and attacking the security guards, rocks and stones and bricks and smashed one of my guys in the face, fractured his face down and surround the bus, about 200 of these kids. Well, all of these kids were all in uh, cahoots with the local police force and they're all as corrupt as can be. So when the police came, instead of trying to clear the area and arrest these kids for mobbing us, they're trying to arrest my security for assault. And I end up calling the U S embassy and getting on the phone and they say, Hey, whatever you do, uh, do not let them go with the police. They're going to end up in some Chinese jail and then we've got a bigger issue on our hands there. So we end up getting out of there, going to the gig and I told the, the police officer, I'm like, you can follow us, but I'm not letting my security leave the van here. And I'm screaming at them because it's the only way they seem to respond to anything. And so we end up going to the to gig and putting the boys on for the show. And while they're doing the show, I end up uh, going back to the hotel, packing up the everybody's rooms with the tour assistant, every all the security, all the band, all management, and uh, sneaking out. The guys do a, you know do their show and uh, fake an encore and we sneak them out the back door. I hired a separate transportation company so the promoter wouldn't even know what was going on. And we snuck out of the city and we went and hid for three days in, uh, in Shanghai without telling anybody where we were at. It was terrifying. I, I'm positive that I lost years of my life over that uh, situation. I mean, that, that beggar's belief, it's, it's, like a, it's like a wartime story, isn't it? Yeah. So when you travel, are you an aisle or seat man? Uh, aisle every single time. I like to have control when I get yeah. up. Yep. Backpack, wheelie bag. Backpack, definitely backpack. My laptop, my road float, the important stuff, passport that stays with me all the time. You know. Do you have unsung heroes in tour? You know, I think that the um, 
uh, a good production coordinator that looks after everybody is invaluable. I think they're just, they are the heartbeat of, of uh, the production. And uh, outside of that, I really, I think the truck drivers um, are always, you know, they could be a surly bunch for sure, but they're definitely underappreciated. I always try to really go above and beyond with the truck drivers to get to know them and thank them. And, and uh, it's not an easy job, you know, and they tend to be, uh, they have tough lives of isolation. And uh, so even, you know, as a big group with a big uh, bunch of truck drivers, you know, and I think about some of those bigger tours where, you know, you're only parking two or three trucks, uh, maybe five trucks at the gig and the rest have to go off site. And those guys who goes out, you know, they're there and they're stuck in a parking lot and there's, you know, transients coming and going and they don't have a proper restroom and it's, you know, it can be pretty crummy for them. So I, I, I'm super appreciative of them. Couldn't do the job without them. They decide not to show up or have a bad day and you don't have a show, you know, they're one of the few positions that's absolutely essential you are not going to do a show if your staging truck doesn't show up or your audio truck doesn't show up it's done zero september the 11th is is etched in all our minds and uh, most of us were touring then or doing something else yeah i actually was uh was home from tour uh this was early on in my career but i still remember uh getting woken up um saying, you, you got to turn the TV on. You have to see what's happening here. And like many people, you know, turning on about at the moment, the the second uh, plane hit and uh, you just knew, like you knew at that moment that the world had changed. It kind of reminds me of uh, kind of the uncertainty we have right now, uh, the COVID crisis where they're still trying to adapt. Oh, and first it was, okay, well, it's just mass gatherings and now it's up people up to 50 and now it's this and now it's this. And there's sort of this big reactionary thing. We don't know where it's headed, but, you know, kind of seems almost daily that there's another change or guideline uh, put in place that's going to affect us. What are your thoughts on us coming out of this current crisis? You know, I think that... This is gonna this is gonna affect us for a long time, uh, both in the psyche. Uh, it's gonna be in people's minds. You're gonna be even when we can go back to work, whenever that is. Uh, people are gonna be thinking about being close to other people, about sanitation, being healthier. You know, simple things: washing hands, hand sanitizer, that sort of stuff. We're gonna feel this for a really long time in uh, in the industry, and I'm hoping that. There are a lot of positive uh, changes that come out uh, on the other side. I think one of the things that we never thought in our industry would happen, we've always seen even during recession periods, even you know after 9-11 that people rallied. I mean, 9-11 obviously was a global uh, affair, but affected you know U.S. touring the most, not necessarily um, stuff in Asia and in South America quite the same way. This is the first time we've seen something shut down the industry worldwide, and it's exposed vulnerability to the industry that we didn't know we had, both individually, um, you know, how, how we deal with things financially on our own, uh, how companies structure things to be able to uh, survive in these types of environments, having secondary streams of revenue and, and um, you know, kind of the whole industry. There's a lot of money in this business, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars sold in ticket sales uh, every year. And we provide a service to um, make people's lives better. And so I'm hoping that, uh, you know, through this, we find some, uh, some ways that we can help to protect the industry, develop some funds that it could be available uh, for crew folks that, uh, you know, are in these types of situations because we want 
to support that we want to be able to have everybody come back next year. But I think sadly, there are going to be people that just aren't going to, that are going to get out, use this as an opportunity to exit, find another career or path. You know, uh, we're going to all have to do that in the short term. I doubt many people can go a year or 18 months without working. The one thing that I'm telling myself is we are being given a huge gift here that we don't usually have, and that's time. You know, I'm using the time to connect with my wife. I'm using the time to exercise. I'm using the time to bake and improve my cooking skills. I'm, I've always said I wanted to learn CAD, and so I'm going to use this opportunity to, to, to improve my CAD skills. So I think that productivity also helps you keep mentally challenged, you know, which is something we're used to is touring folks, you know, that constant engagement of the mind. So Zero, on that note, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you. Thank you and stay safe and I'll see you soon, no doubt. Yeah, thanks for having me. I got a couple of loaves of sourdough proven on the counter. Yeah. need to pop them in the oven and deliver them to my uh, customers. So, uh, yeah, it was great to catch up. In the Green Room, sponsored by SOS Global Express. Proudly supporting the frontline efforts throughout the COVID-19 pandemic.